You're listening to The Science of Superpowers with Tonya Dawn Reclar. Listen here, read the book, and dive into the experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Science of Superpowers. So glad that you're joining us again. We are here with a delightful guest, Quentin Jenkins, a.k.a. DJ Nathan Quinn, is here joining us. How are you today, Quentin? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. And yourself? Oh, fabulous as well. Thank you. Thank you. We are, we're going to jump into the interview here. But, but a little bit about Quentin first is that he is fabulous. He is he He's wandering the world as an entrepreneur, has had his hands in things like modeling and DJing and dancing and has gone against the current in so many spaces, but becomes the current in these beautiful ways. And you can feel that from him. And so I'm so excited to to share this conversation with you all about becoming the impossible and and what happens when we embrace that true creative essence within us and shine and just shine despite all the odds, despite all the obstacles, despite what anybody else wants to say about it, or even what we want to say about it at times, and just choosing to shine. And so so Quentin's here today, and we're going to have that chat for a little bit of inspiration about what's possible in your life also. Quentin, we're going to start with a question. What are your superpowers, and how are you using them for good? Well, uh, I believe that I'm coming to understand my true superpowers are uh, the way that I describe myself, uh, that I'm kind, um, that I approach uh, everyone with kindness as a default, uh, irrespective of what uh, impressions I might have had um, just from visualizing them. Uh, then I move into uh, civility. Um, civility to me is paramount. Um, and then a real empathy, I'm understanding that I have a real empathy around the human condition and wellness, joy, and happiness. Mm, beautiful. And I can attest to the fact that Quentin embodies that. I, you know, it's it, it's not always the case that I get to meet my guests in person. And Quentin and I got to meet here in Arizona. And it, he just is. He It's just beautiful. Like the the welcoming, the warmth, that that that's an embodiment. And it's you know, it's one thing to to hold yourself accountable to those sorts of standards, and it's another to to do the work, to to walk your path, to to integrate the lessons, and and to have the journey that allows you to to embody what you value, to embody who you want to be, so that so that you don't ever even have to say the words, right? It leads the way, it shines the light, and and, and that's important when we understand how we create. Right, how we interact, how we work with with each other, how we work with the world, and and how we work with this resonant universe that that is responding to us. Right, it's easy to say, "Oh, this happened to me. This happened to me. This happened to me." Ultimately, when you understand how the creative process works, we know the universe is responding to us. What we believe, we see. I mean, we used to teach this at counter intel agents, folks. Like, like you cannot just look at what you think of as facts because we're not sharing realities, right? That became very obvious during the pandemic. We share spaces, but we're all living in our own little uh, reality bubbles. And and the and the brilliance in this is when you can connect in with somebody else and have enough shared resonance that you can then create together or experience together. 
Um, and, and that's that to me is what Quentin really embodied and why I was so excited to have him on the show. And Quentin, your path has taken you through many, many, many kind of um, amazing journeys to, to even be able to say that you're a serial entrepreneur that travels the world and, 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 and can invest in your own creative projects with your own energy and your time and, and make that choice. That's a dream for so many people. Share with us a little bit about that journey like like did you just wake up one day and be like yeah of course i can do this right or, or how did that unfold for you well um you know i think that the origins of possibility were certainly infused into me through uh, through my mom and my dad my dad was a military man and uh by no other circumstance than i was born into the uh john and pearlie's family or their intentions for their family, I just was the recipient of what their visioning is and what their context was. I mean, we, uh, you know, were uh, stationed in uh, Augsburg, Germany, uh, for the first four years of my life, and then the next three years we were in uh, uh, Vienna, uh, in Austria. And so it wasn't until I was seven years old that I came back to America with my family and then got a, a, a different lens on um, what it meant to be just a kid um, with intent going to school and, you know, trying to find my way. And then I was there speaking German on the on the playground, wearing my little leader hosen and clogs <laughs> and going, yeah, that's yes. yeah, that's so good with me and my friend, PKs and like, you know, some kids were like looking at me crazy. And then they're in the South at the time. Other kids were, I mean, they started screaming names and started, you know, oh. making, you know, certain things that just was like foreign to me. And so I kind of went to the principal's office crying and everything. They uh, sent me home. And when I got home, my mom, I'll never forget, said to me, why are you at home? You're supposed to be at school. And I told her what went on. And she said, well, you know, the kids were screaming at me and everything like this. She said, well, did any of them call you by your name? And mm. I was like, no, mom, but they were, you know, they didn't they didn't call me by my name. They called me everything but my name. And, and, and I was just upset. And she mm -hmm. said, Quentin, you're not going to school to win a popularity contest. You're going to school to get an education. She said, now, if those people, any of these people whoever they are, put their hands on you, then you come home to me and you you let me know about it. But until then, you're going to have to find a way to mm -hmm. do what you intend, uh, it, it, regardless of uh, what these people are saying. You know, that you know, they're, they're not going to stop you from sitting down, doing your lesson. And so from that, from that, I, you know, it just made me, you know, look and say, you know, you know, beyond why is it that these people are doing that? But what is it in me that I'm that that I can be responsible for mm -hmm. in terms of uh, getting moving forward? Because my thing was that I wanted to be liked. Obviously, I was, you know, precocious little kid and all of this. So that was one of the first times that I realized it really is about what it, the reason why I was upset. It was because it affected me a certain way. And mm -hmm. so out of that, I was like, okay, who am I really? Am I, am I this little German kid? Am I mm -hmm. this American kid? Am I just an, uh, a, a man of color or a kid of color? 
Um, wh what way do I want to, to start to ask the world to receive me in some light um, that resonates with what I intended internally? And so through that, I've been able to, you know, and then I was, I happened to be a smart kid. So uh, I was, uh, you know, on these uh, feeding programs, uh, 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 you know, for uh, testing intelligence, you know, they placed me at the college level when we did uh, testing for me to get into the schools there. My mom wasn't happy about the idea of me being far away from her, uh, out of her purview of protection or my dad. So I had to kind of navigate um, you know, uh, uh, the scholastic programs that they were offering me. And then uh, after I, you know, graduated high school early um, and I graduated the first uh, 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 higher education uh, community college early, I did get academic place testing. So I didn't have to go the full uh, amount of credits. I was given credit mm -hmm. for 32 hours in my first uh, degree. And so you start to see I was on student senate and I was, you know, a, a student writer. So I was testing my opinions. I would do nightclub reviews uh, there. I went to Scottsdale Community <laughs> College. So I had an article called Quentin's Corner, Q-U-I-N-T-O-N-S-Q-U-O-R-N-E-R. And, <laughs> and I would go, yeah, you know, I would go out to the clubs uh, and review the clubs at the time there because the Arizona uh, drinking age used to be 19. And so so at, at a very young age, I was able to juxtapose what my opinion of the things that I experienced were mm -hmm. to um, what the intentions for the people in business uh, had. I mean, they always loved my reviews. They always thought I was cool. Um, and so that gave me the strength to be able to test other ideas um, around, uh, you know, uh, I, I've, I've done very little walk in corporate. I worked uh, in retail for an early part because I got a trade school diploma in fashion merchandising. And uh, I was going to be this guy who made everybody's windows amazing and worked for amazing designers. And ultimately, at first, I thought I was going to uh, go to some fashion house and be the marketing guy to take the brand uh, around the world. And that was the way I used to think. And then, um, you know, in the summer that year, I got an opportunity to be a part of a, um, a musical theater show. They had at the Camelback Inn, a little theatrical room there. And so I started to work there and luckily was retained as the cast. So I moved out of our house into the Camelback Inn um, so my friends always say, oh, yeah, Clinton, you would be the one to move out of your house into a five star resort as your first, you know, place to live in your first context. You weren't living off of ramen noodles is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And so I and I worked with the show and I lived only on my per diem because, like I said, one of the things that my parents gave me was financial literacy, which I think is something that is so missing um, and uh, even professionals that I see, you know, um, and, and some of the clients that I've worked with or uh, some of the clients that I've read about that I've kind of uh, gleaned that could possibly be my client. I was trying to figure out what things that I could bring to them in terms of my skill sets that would help them to continue to succeed or exceed the success that they'd already achieved. And so 
um, financial literacy has always been at the forefront in, in my own story, whereby I've always lived beneath my means. And in terms of my delivery as a service provider, um, I've always tried to under promise and over deliver. That was my strategy as well. So that then people could understand that not only even though I was asking for certain prices that I felt like I was worth, <laughs> you know, before um, some of the clients that I was working for felt uh, that that was reciprocal value. But luckily, um, many of them early on who took chances on me around, um, you know, empowering me to really succeed within their ecosystems uh, came to under, came to to tell me, you're a valued employee. Thank you. Right. I always set uh, personal goals for myself based in their ecosystems mm -hmm. uh, because my early thing was uh, I'm going to only do what I have to do until I can finally do exactly what I want to do. And so that was always my mindset along the way, like, okay, I'm going to work for this person because even though I, I'm like, for example, I, I went to work at Bullock's. It was a, uh, a big box store there in Scottsdale Fashion Square. And um, I was working in the men's department, living out some of this dream of the fashion merchandising thing, make, making the mannequins do well, everything. And then I started to get, gain clientele with coming to the store. Well, at that time, they only had it that your, your, uh, your employee code only worked in the department uh, to open the cash register. That you were that you were uh, book uh, that you were uh, employed in. So what would happen is certain clients, and I'll remember one lady that I loved so much, Aquanetta Ross. She was uh, Jack Ross, Lincoln Mercury's wife, um, uh, and um, her sons. You see, there was Jack, I believe, and then they had three sons, I believe, and so she would always come in and order. Like for the cashmere in the winter, she would order a bunch of sweaters, and then she would or she would uh, want to order some vests and any you know the idea that I would have as a guy. She would come to me as a guy because you know I was coming to work, you know, taking no prisoners. I was you know doing, <laughs> doing my my you know construct of of what I felt like dudes should look like, right? And so uh, and many times you know she would say, "Wow." I, I like this and I like that. So, and some of it was the merchandise that we had on the floor. So long story short, it played itself out into me going to the store manager because we had um, something like uh, breakfast with the manager or breakfast with the store head or something like that, whereby you could say what your department head was doing right and wrong in your opinion and, you know, feel like it's an unfiltered way to be able to contextualize your job satisfaction and um, how they could be a better company in helping you to succeed uh, more so. And so I said it would be great if I could have access to the shoe department, to the cologne department, to the jewelry department, because once my customer comes and spends time with me, I, you know, they are requesting, they are saying, can you take, you know, mm -hmm. me over to the suit department? Can you, and, you know, they were, you know, like higher commission departments, then just, just the sportswear department that I was working in. Can you take me over to the cologne department? So I, in my next uh, contract said to them, can I start to, you know, since I can't get to those commission departments, shoes were commissioned, colognes were commissioned, mm -hmm. 
jewelry were commissions that they wanted a higher level salesperson or something or more uh, educated or whatever their criteria was that I didn't meet at the time of my employee. So um, I got them to just put it into the back end of my deal that if, for example, I had my sales goals were $100,000, if I uh, went over them by um, after $20,000, I got um, uh, 40 or 50% of that amount that, um, you know, that, that commission, that commission. Nice. So um, it was just kind of poetic after uh, I only worked there for maybe a little bit less than uh, two years because, you know, I did this in the first year and then the first six months they had to write me like a, a five or $10,000 check. And that was, that was like incredible, you know? Uh, and then the, the next time they're going to have to write me an even bigger check. And so then they were like rethinking saying, well, <clears throat> we don't know if we can honor that. And so there was always this, this backpedal. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, why is it that if I'm asking you for just this 10% or whatever it was, you've made 90%, okay, above and beyond, mm -hmm. you know, well, that's what we're paying, paying you for, Quentin. And I go, mm -hmm. no, 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 you're paying me for the, the numbers that were average in the department. You know, I had a certain level that I couldn't go below. So out of these exercises, so I, of course, went in with that little bonus check, said, okay, I can survive because I always live beneath my means. I can survive now for another year and I don't have to really be bothered about these people. And I can try to navigate the murky waters to see what kind of enterprise I can form for myself. So quickly thereafter, QJ events happened and I would go to, I would target clients and say, like I worked with, um, Bobby McGee's, the nightclub, that was mm -hmm. a nightclub whereby one waiter was Superman and another one was uh, 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 whatever, Mickey Mouse and another one, you know, so it was this uh, theatrical construct. But I would say to them when I went in, I was like, you know, that guy that's Superman really isn't Superman because I was a big Marvel comic book uh, fan. So um, I would say, no, this is Superman. And this, you know, and then I had dance skills so I could show people, you know, a posture or a, a character uh, building modality by which, you know, and it, it would help them to make more money because now they're, you know, like, um, like if the person uh, had their dinner come back, I would script them to say, get into that character. Oh no, you didn't like the dessert? Well, you're my kryptonite. I'm, I'm going to have to take it back, you know, to the kitchen Ooh. and et cetera. You're killing me. You're killing me, you know. Instead of like, oh, I'm so sorry for the, you know, and I'll take it back to the kitchen. So it was a real uh, a 360 degree experience. So it was uh, it was really brilliant for me because then I could see people being assisted at even on that mm -hmm. level um, to, you know, because they were working to make money. And if I could right. help them make more money um, through something as uh, off, off kilter as this character to develop during their job, you know, because mm -hmm. I was asking some people to do, you know, yeah, when you're Betty Boop, you know, lean forward, look at the Betty Boop cartoons. And, and work with the energy, right? Like work with that component. Because it seems like early on, you were able to follow this thread of, of resonance, right? Being able to 
move yourself in alignment with with um, others' desires, motivations, preferences, whatever they might be, and, and be able to align your you with that to to create this almost this real collaborative kind of outcome. Um, sounds like not everyone always saw it, but but you were playing with subtle arts at a very early age and producing results, right? So it was almost like you had this whole laboratory early on, even in your youth, because you were you were aware and your parents were encouraging that 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 it that allowed you the opportunity to play with and manipulate things that a lot of people still remain very unaware about. Well, but and, and me, so that's a powerful exercise. For me though, uh, and and I agree with what you said, but for me though, more internally, it was always the test case of how disciplined I was willing to be to yep. see whatever I'd intended come true. You know, Brilliant. I mean, I yep. could, I could have. What do you have, want more, essentially, the moment or or the the mission? That's it. That's it. That's it. I, you know, I might have, you know, uh, you know, it's a horrible analogy, but I might have won some battles, but I, I'm I'm not interested in trying to win the uh, uh, lose the war. You right. know, I might have incrementally been set back, but mm-hmm. I, I knew I I knew. Because I'd had enough, after the one person would come back and tell me, Quentin, you know, I had to dial it back a little bit or whatever, they they Mm -hmm. had to recalibrate. But exactly what you helped me to to realize in myself was so beneficial. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank you. That was was more valuable Mm -hmm. um, than, oh, hey, uh, the next time I went to try to work with that client, I was asking for this amount of money. And they were saying, well, you know, you have been a value and we mm. can see that, you know, our sales have increased and et cetera through these different modalities. But sometimes they would still misunderstand because, of course, I'm coming in with music and I'm coming in with costume and I'm mm. coming with, you know, I used to uh, a long time ago say, like, I've got that old black magic, you know. And of stuff. course you said that. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> you know, as a way to kind of confront the the, mm-hmm. the cultural tensions and all of this in in the largely eurocentric uh, enclaves that I was ne- negotiating in um I was oftentimes the the I would always use that as a selling point besides your team lacks a little bit of diversity and so since I'm uh I'm, you know bicultured and bisexual you're getting like a double uh, <laughs> you a, get to a, check two Boxes. Quadruple whammy. And I would say it with all calendar so that we can get the quiet part out loud so we can stop, you know, whether some people has ownership in whether they think that they're, you know, uh, um, classist or, you know, in these buzzwords today, racist or, um, uh, and I used to say, enabled to accept with empathy other cultures and other perspectives, right? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think people are inherently just, you know, because we've done this, you know, in America, that's the other thing along the way, uh, Tanya, is like in America, you know, it's like we are either white or we're black. And Isabel Wilkerson in her a uh, wonderful expose, expose called Cast, um, kind of chronicles how we've come to this moment um, through a sy- system that's mirroring uh, still modern day India or some of the colonial mindsets from uh, years right. gone by. And that was supposed to be uh, anathema to the American experience. We were supposed to be getting away from all of that. Mm-hmm. But when uh, all of those 
Irish and uh, uh, you know German and Italian and Eurocentric culture, Spanish and all of these different people, French uh, came here. Um, now at some inflection point, um, they became white. So now, right. now there was no longer any, and and we see it still playing itself out. In my opinion today, whereby there's this context that you know uh, you you, uh, you know white people using the current vernacular have kind of now juxtaposed themselves regard you know and and then now there it's it's the idea that and mind you this is saying all white people and i'm like no 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 right no, no. that amalgamation no. to the white race really cost all of us and to varying degrees and in different ways and certainly with with um incredibly different results but it did cost all of us and i think that's what a lot of us are awakening to now is is the realization, you know, people don't, don't voluntarily give up privilege until they recognize the inherent cost of it to them. And the fact that our systems are deconstructing because they have to privilege systems always deconstruct. And that was the cost of that amalgamation. Well, the the bigger thing is everybody can understand why certain people want to try to, to try to um, uh, 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 raise or, or white, uh, not you know, whitewash, but um, erase histories, you know, because then if you uh, if you're embracing your cultural origins, you under you have more human empathy because That's you right. know if you talk to your grandmother and your grandfather as an Irish person in America or an Asian person or as a Latin person or whatever like that, if 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 you know if the system can work to to reframe your even self-identity. That's right. Then Houston, we really do have a problem. And I I, I go, I'm just not, I've also been self-clear enough to uh, only to realize that people really only have the power that you give them and that circumstances uh, only have the power that you give mm. them. So they I do. love that. Well, and I'd love to, because we have just a little bit of time here. One of the other things I would say about you with your superpowers is, is your commitment to social impact, your commitment to being a voice, your commitment to co contribution um, in so many different areas, right? In so many different communities, uh, particularly here in the Valley. So so let's talk for a minute and, and, and you know, share like how, what did, what does it do for you to kind of put that lens of assisting others? Because we've seen this thread um, throughout your life. And, and and initially, it's like finding that with the individuals. But now, given the power that you hold and the privilege that you hold and the positions that you hold, you're able to also have influence in communities and in and in projects and, and on boards and coming together with others. And so, so how did making that switch shift things in your life? So, you know, I mean, it's just out of what I was saying. It's for me that kind of simply based. Um, I've always tried to say, well, I've always been kind of an arts baby and a creative person. So through fashion, music, and the and the arts, and through community, um, you know, uh, John Lennon, uh, no, Ringo Starr once famously penned the lyric, I get by with a little help from my friends. And that for me was, was really assisted because you know, they, they even a good parent said it takes say it, it takes a village, right? So, so I've been always looking around and mm -hmm. saying not only to people that are same oriented or same cultured, 
but to like-minded, and then that's the way I've come at scenarios, whereby if I can divine that their mission is uh, is 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 seated in uh, human evolution, human kindness, human empathy, um, I'm, it's a lean in because for me, if if you, it's the same work I used to say a long time ago when I stopped doing just uh, events and uh, DJing for private clients or fashion show production work for um, private clients. It's the same, the the amount of logistical effort to do a six-year-old's birthday party as it is to do the Tempe Mill Avenue street fair. You have to still, if you're looking at the macro picture, Mm -hmm. you still have to make sure people are secure. Make sure that the intention thread of what you, you, what are they coming to the event for is all protected. Is the staging right? Is the lighting right? Is the sound right? Is the is the flow right? Um, have you positioned the um the the walkways with elements that are going to reinforce your visioning? Okay, so so that's how I've been able to. And then once you have that was the uh, thing that I realized early on as well. I have. One of my clients told me this, said, Quentin, you're uh, kind of ingenious in the way that you can see a vision and then dissect that and bring it into the micro level, into the granular level, and then assign the categories by which the uh, helpers and workers and uh, professionals can um, be, because some people just really want to be in their silo. People say, this is who I am, and this is what I want to do. I don't want to really you right. know, do, uh, do much else. So that's the way I, I've kind of been able to say, okay, you're an excellent this, and you're an excellent that. Let me help you in, in bringing you into this, or can I contextualize how to empower you from this corporate or macro level? So as a result, then I've, uh, you know, gone to, I've, so I figured it, I can do it for the local business, or I can do it for a municipality, mm-hmm. or I can do it for a uh, government um, entity. It's um, like developing a system and then being able to duplicate it and apply it across the board. That's correct. So, Fabulous. So, you know, uh, being able to scale something mm-hmm. is only tested by the efficacy of your basic model. That's right. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And it's such a it's such a cool way to look at it because because it makes it possible, right? I think a lot of people keep themselves out of the game. They think, well, what do I have to offer? What do I have to contribute when it comes to things like social impact or or contributing to to e- even volunteering with, with a, a, a local, you know, nonprofit or whatever, thinking you don't have much to offer. But it's the exact same thing. And Quentin, I think your story today really lends itself beautifully to, to recognizing that. That we develop these skills and they and they evolve, right? You know, sh- maybe you shouldn't expect to be able to sit on the board uh, of some nonprofit if you if you've never even volunteered somewhere, right? But start there and recognize that you're building the capacity, right? Right? You got to be willing to take those steps. And and all of your reminders today are what are are a great um, a great reminder. All of your examples are a great reminder to all of us about what can happen when we just make that choice to have the discipline to hold the vision and take the steps forward. And Quentin, you, you are just a great example of that. And I so appreciate your the work that you've done to be able to hold space for others, to be that space for others. 
um, and to shine that light to encourage others to do the same. That's fabulous. Just, just like with even with women, I mean, some guys are like, oh, my goodness, you know, some of the most beautiful women in the world and and this and that and the other. And I'm like, you're right. I do. You know, I was <laughs> once a model, you know. Um, and, uh, and but, but what I'm saying all of that is when we have these questions that are coming into our societal purview around like women's women's uh, reproductive rights, for example, very contentious issue. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm just doing I'm just using my simple brain to say, like, why isn't it that we're actually talking to women <laughs> about what women <laughs> want, want and, you know, what women uh, 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 what's what's really meaningful to them? It's their body parts. It's their psycho. It's their life. And so um, I always say, like as a provocative bottom line, if you don't have, uh, you know, female organs, you know, if you don't have a a, 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 a an oven, I always say, you know, an oven, then you can't. You, you, why are you coming to the table to talk about? stuff that you don't have any real internal understanding of. So, and then furthermore, trying to legislate it. And I realized that everybody involved has to be at the table, but it needs to be through the lens of the most affected party on whatever level. And we're learning so much about the importance of that lens being shaped by the community that's represented in the conversation and 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 we can do that really beautifully i mean i mean these are not difficult conversations to navigate they're just charged and when we can take it down to the simple elements like you've done so beautifully it's like okay let's just apply logic and then let's move forward together with a real desire to recognize like we're not getting out of this without everybody involved like like what comes next is up to all of us and we're all voting and we're all sending those messages out. And the more we can have these thoughtful, informed, considerate dialogues about things that really impact all of us and that are sometimes terrifying to talk about, but the more we can diffuse that and recognize these are conversations and we've got to come up with solutions, right? And it, and, it, and it, we can simplify it down to that level using your lenses of kindness and and, and ability to see beyond, you know, what, what the world might tell us to look for. Quentin, thank you so much for being part of the Superpower Network and coming on the Science of Superpowers and sharing your story and your journey and, and, and the step-by-step in that discipline action, folks, that is how you get there. And not only that, but then when you get there, you're ready for it, right? You're forged, you're polished, you're, and you get to enjoy the ride so much more when you follow that resonant path. Yeah. And and the other thing I would only add is, for me, it's been an exercise in patience. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's a perfect thing to end on. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no onus for you. Some people say, like, well, you know, uh, I want to be this by the time I'm that, by the time mm-hmm. I'm 30. I want to be, you know, it's great to have ambition and everything, but I would put more energy into hearing exactly what issues and tests have come up in your life when that process of becoming right which is which is the episode becoming the impossible so folks take what quentin shared here take what you've learned from this episode and apply it to your own life 
and figure out what is it that you think is impossible for you. And if that's something that you desire to achieve, then start looking at how you can build toward that. We so appreciate you listening to the Superpower Network and supporting us since 2016, uh, being in the top 1.5% of podcasts globally. We know that that's because of you, and we thank you for that. Until next time, folks, we love you. Love each other. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.